0: Here, welcome to Cat Big Friday's episode number 31. And once again, I'm joined by Mr. Richard
1: Morgan. Hello, good Friday, everybody. Hello, I hope everybody is well. Yeah, I hope so too.
0: And yeah, right away, thank you so much for watching, listening, subscribing, liking all of the things you do on YouTube and platforms and things. And as always, I want to remind you that this show is available in video format on YouTube and there's the audio version on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Podbean. Possibly, I still haven't like properly checked that, but I'm going to mention it anyway. And I also want to remind you that if you want to be part of the questions and comments sections of the show or section, there's one section, you can email us at podcast at and if you want to skip to a certain topic we've teased in the intro or in the description already there's timestamps both on YouTube and on podcast podcast platforms as well I think I need my third cup of coffee but yeah timestamps they exist Today we're going to talk about the diesel VH Micro which uh, is finally out it was the worst kept secret because it kind of had leaked for a few weeks now at least, and actually we kind of wanted to talk about it last week, but then the release, I guess, was pushed, I'm not sure what happened, but basically, yeah, now it's out, Rich has a video on about it live on his channel as well, when the episode airs, or roughly that time, and yeah, we're going to talk about that. Then there's a Warwick versus Gibson Flying V lawsuit case, or like basically it came to a conclusion, talk about that the new strandberg what's it called bowden nx yep a very 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 modern guitar that should be fun (laughs) well then we're going to talk about something that might be one of the most unfortunate names for a pedal ever we're going to talk about the joyo moist reverb there's that uh the mad max fury road uh, Doof Wagon Guitar Rig is up for sale right now if you want to get that and then there's the albums of our lives as well and we kind of talked about last week the album we're going to do. We're going to do like a co what's it Like a co album feature type of thing. We like the same album so we decided to talk about that and The weekend Watch actually ties to that album as well so yeah Again, if you want to jump to certain thing right away, timestamps in the description. But otherwise, let's get going with recent happenings. Oh yes, Diesel has finally released the VH micro amp head and it's part of the Boutique Amp Distribution, some mini head series and this is definitely a more high gain thingy as you can see the price is 299 at thoman as of shooting this episode and yeah rich has a video out on this thing featuring dre Xavier from GearGuards. and yeah you know way more about this than I do so please let us know what is it
1: well you've already given us a very good introduction to this and I feel like I'm Having some deja vu talking about it, but yes, the diesel VH micro is finally here. It is probably the worst kept secret of all of the mini amps. Um, if anyone else has seen any of my other 42 Gear Street videos, I did one with the mini Bogner Ecstasy head, and there was a stack of three mini amps in that video. You had the Friedman BE mini, which everyone knows about already, you had the Bogner and you had another mini-amp that was kind of covered with a crude cardboard flap, which we started referring to as the cardboard special. And it seemed, when I released the Bogner video about a month ago, that everyone already knew what the cardboard special was. They were telling me, yeah, there's a new diesel mini-head under there, isn't there? And I was like, I can't say anything until the date in my head, which was September 23rd, which would have been last week. And they all seemed to know about it. I googled... Diesel VH Micro, Diesel VH Mini, and found out that, yeah, this amp had been effectively leaked in Japan for a few months. There's even a video, if you type it into YouTube, of someone testing out, I guess, an early version of it, or a prototype at some (laughs) kind of Nam event in January or something. So it's been around for ages and ages. But anyway, the Diesel VH Micro is here. It's a small version of, presumably, the VH4, the most popular or the most well-known of the diesel, high-amp, full-size tube heads. And it continues the Mini-Amp's theme. So they have the Friedman, they have the Bogner, and now they have a diesel. Presumably there will be more to come, because Mini-Amp's is part of the boutique amp distribution series of companies. So there are other amp brands like Morgan that they have, where we could imagine small things. There could be some Mm. Wampler stuff made into amps, who knows? But there's plenty more from Diesel, from Bogner, and from Friedman that will presumably be getting made into smaller sizes soon. And Soldano, of course. Imagine if they did a Soldano yeah. slow mini. yeah. But anyway, so... Tone King? Yes, a mini Tone King. Now, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. I don't know. With cleaner amps, it's kind of maybe less of an exciting thing to make a small, cheap version of something. But still, I would love to see a, a Tone King, like a Gremlin or something like that, even smaller. Mm. I would love to see a Friedman Dirty Shirley mini. And if there is ever a yeah. Soldano Slow, which I'm 99.9% sure there will be, I'd love to try that one out as well. But anyway, these are tiny little amps. They weigh a couple of kilograms, they weigh about four pounds. They have one channel. They're pretty simple. So the the diesel VH Micro has it has a volume control, it has a three band EQ, it has a presence control, and it has a deep control for the for the lower parts of the tone, and it has a gain control. Obviously, that's about it. It's a 30-watt Class D power amp. It's solid state, obviously. You've got an effects loop on the back. You can plug it straight into a computer and record. I think, for me, what it is is a super cool way of getting whatever percentage that is of the full-size diesel VH4 tone into a tiny box and making it affordable for everyone. It's like, if you really wanted to buy a diesel and couldn't afford it, this is the perfect way to dip your toe into that water and try out that amp. And Trey and I, as you can see from the video, we had a lot of fun tweaking the knobs, getting some different sounds out. He was playing this ridiculous Ibanez seven-string baritone, and it handled it pretty well. I think it sounds pretty good. I mean, I'm not really a you know a baritone metal-type player in my day job, but I thought it sounded pretty good. And I would implore you all to watch the video, see what you think. Vlad, I would like to see you try this amp as well, because I know that you metal a bit more than I do. I do indeed metal
0: a little bit. And yeah, this is also like the VH4 is one of the amps like Metallica is known for as well. So if you want to get like that kind of tone. uh, Actually, like just before before shooting this episode, I actually watched uh, Vector De Castro's video where he like really went for the Metallica thing. And yeah, it has that sound. So really cool little piece of gear. Like, yeah. The whole micro amp series is kind of exciting. I'm, I'm more excited about something like this compared to like a pedal that would kind of have that amp sound. So
1: yeah, I mean yeah. there are diesel pedals, for example, which costs roughly similar to what this mini amp head costs. So it's kind of like now, well, you could go for the pedal. There's a bunch of different diesel pedals, or you could go for this amplifier, which is a totally different thing. I mean, they look super cool. They look a lot more expensive than they are. And they feel Mm. good quality as well, and I just feel like it's a super cool little thing. I mean, for me personally, I do use a lot of pedals. I like pedals very much, but I can totally see myself in the next year or so collecting a couple of these mini-amp heads, because they're just so cool and fun to plug in. And I don't think I'm ever going to be in the position where I would want to, or where I would be able to afford the full-size heads. So it makes total sense to me.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like a VH4 is such a specific type of amp for a sound that I might use, like, a few times a year. So unless, like, I really can afford luxuries like this, I wouldn't probably get that amp either. But getting, like, a mini head, it's, what, 300 euros, dollars. This is very affordable. Really cool thing, available in three to four weeks at Thelman.
1: Maybe can you quickly just while you're at home and search for the diesel vH4 pedal or something let's see how much that costs
0: yeah, there you go vH4 pedal there's okay two seventy nine. but is there
1: two versions of this because it also presented me with vh there have yeah there have been many different versions of those pedals over the years, and so yeah that yeah. pedal is there's just a... 20 euros less than the mini head. And of course, it's going to sound different. And if you already have a clean amp that you use, uh, there's the full-size diesel VH4 head, which is closer to €3,000 than 300 Yes. 2900 right now. So it's literally 10 times the price of that mini amp. Yeah. And I'm sure it doesn't sound 10 times as good. I mean, on the other hand, if you showed up to a metal gig with the mini amp or the full-sized head, I think people would laugh at you 10 times more for having the mini amp. But once you plugged it in, and of course, yeah. you can plug it directly into a PA. You know, volume is not going to be a problem whatsoever. And these things are actually very loud. You know, it's 30 watts mm. at 16 ohms, I think they are. And that's loud enough to gig with in the vast majority of situations. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with
0: all the like in ears and stuff people use nowadays, just makes sense. Uh, yep. like I've had the um, Houston get no, nano amp series as well. Those were like 20 watts. Again, kind of similar thing, like class D power amp, I think. Those things were loud. like, if you want to play in an apartment, those are extremely loud, actually. Yep. For that type yep. of thing. So. But yeah, it, it's kind of funny that the diesel VHO for pedal costs pretty much the same as the amp. And I gotta say, this is just so much cool. It's like a real amp, and you don't need to it have like a, a real amp. platform amp to use that. So that that's really really cool. Yeah. Uh, I, from the amps that have been released right now, I'm not sure which one I would get. Maybe like I'm kind of intrigued by the Friedman right now, just because um, for the very recent Harley Benton Ales video I just released. Uh, I used the new X Fireman, which pretty much goes for the Friedman BEOD sound. Uh, that like hot rodded Marshall
1: type of thing is amazing. So yeah, like well, out I of shot- the
0: ones. That, no.
1: Yeah, Go ahead. yeah. At Forty Two Gear Street, I shot a video on the BE Mini as well with Perfecto De Castro. Mm. our good friend, and he made it sound absolutely amazing. He was playing it with a Friedman Strat-type guitar. He did a lot of neck pickup stuff, and he tried to make it a bit less high gain than it often is, because the BE yeah. overdrive pedal, for me personally, it's it's got way too much in it. I use the Dirty Shirley overdrive pedal, I've got one of them, and I have the internal gain trim pot down as low as it'll go, and it still does too much gain for me. And the BE overdrive pedal has put me off in the past because of that, but hearing Perfecto de Castro play the BE mini head in that way made me really want that too. And I think that yep. of the three which are already out, that might be the one that I would also choose. Yeah, but who knows? That um, that video with Perfecto will be coming out, I guess, next month or something like that. I got to get it edited yeah. and sorted. So yeah, but they're yeah, great. Looking forward to and, that. And you know, Dan. next year if if there are going to be more things like a Soldano, like more Friedman's, maybe Tone Kings, maybe Morgans, mm. there's going to be so much great choice. And I expect yeah. that other companies will start doing stuff like this because it's just, this is going to take a lot of sales away from other companies, I think.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, like, uh, these things uh, also can work as a, like, a, is, it, is the term gateway to, like... Somebody who buys one of these, if at some point they actually have the funds, they might actually go for the bigger one as well. Yeah, so exactly. Like a lo- lot of the times, that that's what happens. You get the budget version, then lo- then you get used to the sound. It becomes like part of your like guitarist identity, if you will. And if you suddenly have the means, uh, you get like you have an anniversary or something like you might go for the big head, all of the sudden. That's how I've seen things like this happen many, many times in the past. So, yeah. From a business strategist standpoint, this is a great idea as well. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to try this out. But let's jump to the next thing, which is Warwick versus Gibson Flying V Battle. And basically, the German court rejects the Gibson's appeal against earlier defeat. And... This is something that I've learned fairly recently: is that it's very difficult to like patent uh, like guitar body shapes, for example, in EU. I'm not hundred percent sure why, but what's kind of patentable or like trademark protected in US it doesn't always work in EU. And we are checking out the Music Radar article, and basically there's a photo. A guitar that looks exactly like a flying V. And I can see why Gibson has sued them, but,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah I often I mean, think Warwick's about is... this kind of law as being, you know, know—I'm I'm making a very oversimplified version of it for myself, but I always think about it being a case of, would I as a customer be confused if I saw both companies' products and they looked so identical that I didn't know which was which. You know? Yeah. And for me, in this case, yeah, looking at that image, that looks like a flying <laughs> V. It's funny. It's, I didn't yeah, even know that Warwick it. made these instruments to be 100% honest with you. That's true. Yeah. But it's interesting, again, I mean, we have, you know, another week of Catpick Fridays, another court case going on, and another one with Gibson, actually, because they're quite regularly yeah. doing stuff like this. And it is very interesting to see how differently the EU law reacts to stuff compared to the mm. North American ones. Yeah. But I suspect that this case will run and run. And again, we really need to get someone with a legal background on to help us talk about this kind of stuff, don't we? Yeah, definitely. Also, also
0: like, I kind of don't understand why they have to make it look exactly like the Gibson one. It's like with a V-shape, it's fairly easy to make it at least a little bit
1: different. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, with this one, it, in the image, it's the body shape. It's the headstock shape as well. It's yeah. the whole thing.
0: Yeah, the block inlays everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get a guest to discuss about this because that that's all I, like, I can say about this. It, yeah, this isn't the first time I'm hearing about this type of legal cases. Like, uh, I've talked to some local luthiers here, and, and they say that yeah, you can pretty much use the like the Fender stratagaster and the body shape as long as you tell within EU, you'll be fine. Like, yeah, that's just, what
1: I've experienced as well. The, the Fender body yeah. shapes are fair game; the headstocks mm-hmm. are not. But yeah, looking at this definitely. picture of that Warwick V, the whole V is game now, and presumably this would set a precedent for other companies in the European mm. Union region who want to do similar. Yeah, but I don't know because I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, that
0: is true as well. But yeah, let's get a guest talk about these things mm. in the near future. And let's jump to the next thing, which is the Strandberg Bowden NX. Uh a guitar that is again very, very up like Richard's alley. Like this is something you've been dreaming of for a while and now they are out as you can tell. Finally.
1: I've played a Strandberg and I liked it. So yes. I've done the I same. I guess that shocks very you. Great. But yeah, this that is, is a, this is something even more Radical for them, isn't it? Yeah. It, it looks very weird,
0: but I bet that guitar feels amazing in your lap.
1: Yeah, I bet it does. It's been designed to be as ergonomic as possible. I think the thing that really puts a lot of people off Strandberg's once they pick them up is the neck profile, because it's so oh, different yeah. to anything else that you can play. It's hard to describe, but it just doesn't feel like a guitar neck. But at some point... Mm. I think you either get it or you don't and at some point it just feels totally naturally and it becomes like an extension of your your arm and your body but for other people they will just never want to have something like that in their hands so what exactly is the NX concept? to me it looks like it's a, a
0: guitar that's designed to be out of your way as much as possible in a way like you can focus on playing like Everything is super ergonomic there. I think they improved the arm cut even more,
1: and the neck joint cut more angular
0: now. Yeah, so there's that. Uh, They went for a very interesting body wood, which was called where was it? Uh, Sassafras. I've never heard of, of that. Yeah,
1: I haven't. I've never heard of such
0: a body wood before. So no,
1: me neither. I think like we discussed earlier, the only time I've ever heard the word sassafras used is by Green Day in the song Sassafras Roots. (laughs) And I don't know if there's any extra additional meaning associated with that. We will have to Google it afterwards and possibly get our legal person on the case as necessary. But I think, yeah, very interesting. I don't know of any other guitar companies who are using that. Yeah. And also, yeah, they've swapped out roasted maple and are now using mm. kiln dried maple on these guitars, which is I wonder what that is I mean, I don't really know what um what the overall difference is, but a kiln is a place where um you know ceramics things like tiles are made, you know like mm. pottery and stuff, and presumably the wood is I don't know if it's heated or if it's just put in there to dry so. Would be interesting yeah. to see what differences this has in the whole game of tone yeah and sassafras over swampash, sassafras must be a more sustainable wood yeah but the article here mentions
0: that a lot of the decisions have been made based on sustainability which oh wait I but I if you like reach slightly
1: further they do say that the first production run of these guitars will have sassafras bodies But after the first production run, they will be reverting back to swamp ash. This is due to logistical and supply chain issues. So it's a COVID thing. Effectively, they're Ah, using these different woods because they couldn't get swamp ash during the COVID pandemic. Which makes sense. Yep. So that's why they're using sassafras. They haven't found some amazing uh, advantage to it. It's just that was all they could get during this time, I guess. True.
0: I mean, this look kinda of, kind of cool again, I would love to try one out like uh, I think the first uh t g u had was it Strandberg that was there? Yes, I think I made a video with Colin on those guitars. I don't and...
1: remember I, I wasn't there as a youtuber, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that Strandberg had been at one of those events. I also yeah. just spotted, by the way, just further up, that they have replaced ebony boards on some of these guitars with rich light, mm-hmm. which I find interesting because rich Light is a very controversial fretboard, especially when it's used on Gibson guitars for whatever reason. I personally <laughs> I have don't have too much of a problem that with it. Guitar that has a
0: richlite fretboard.
1: Yeah, what do you think of it? I was fine with it.
0: It to me, it felt very close to ebony. It looked great. Yeah. It was really, really dark, very kind of stable. And you don't have to like oil it or anything like that either. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah I, would, I mean, I've been, I didn't mind. I've been critical in the past of companies using things like Palferro and Laurel instead of Rosewoods, but I've actually played Rich Light boards as well. And they, they feel pretty good to me. Yeah. But all you have to do is Google the Gibson forums and check out the threads about Rich Light and you'll see what traditionalist gibson fans think there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, I think again a online, lot of this but... is about sustainability. It's about yep. you know picking the right materials to not destroy the environment as much. Yeah.
0: I, I, I'd rather get a rich light fretboard than like cut down too many ebony trees.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know with a brand like Strandberg, I believe that the kind of people you know the players who are prepared to buy a guitar like this they're clearly not interested in tradition in that way or at least they're not bothered about you know having traditional looks designs or feels so in terms of forward-thinking sustainable innovative designs and woods then they're totally fine to go in that direction
0: yep definitely
1: I'd love to be able to try one of
0: these. I don't think we have a dealer in Finland, though I'm not 100% sure. I might be wrong as well about this one. But yeah, they are not like that cheap. I'm going to check whether these are available on Thorman, for example.
1: I also noticed they have Fishman Fluence pickups, which is a a cool thing. thing. Yeah, Fishman Fluence are really in a lot of good... High gain focus guitars at the moment, they're doing really, really well.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, I've
0: definitely played some of these. Like, I remember playing something like this at
1: uh TGU 18. Yeah, that one that you're looking at there, it looks like someone got one of the new Ibanez headless guitars and melted it, (laughs) possibly in a kiln. So,
0: (laughs) yes, very possible.
1: These aren't yeah, like I mean, they're crazy are amazing instruments, expensive either. This is the kind of guitar that I feel like you would show an extraterrestrial who came to Earth <laughs> and wanted an instrument. They're so <laughs> otherworldly. Yeah, they're they're amazing things.
0: Yeah, but these are just incredibly comfortable to play. Yeah, because it, it's the, the main like, thing is like it? Yeah. Picture refuses to load, but oh there you go. It kind of looks cool. Uh, I, I guess I could u- get used to tuning it as well. Like, if I would... I think this is a photo of a 7-string guitar, by the way, but Thomas says it's a 6-string guitar. No, it's... What? Con- confusing. Uh, the model is called NX6, but it's a 7-string. That is Maybe there's something
1: wrong confusing. with the Thoman,
0: sir. Yes, indeed. But yeah, they're... Look, interesting. Wouldn't mind trying one out. Uh, I don't think we have a deal in Finland, thin- as I already mentioned, so... Who knows whether that will actually happen. But let's jump to the next thing. <laughs> to something that might be one of the most <laughs> unfortunately named pedals of all time, the Joyo JF-20 Moist Reverb. <laughs> Checking out the Gear News article, and it says a 32-bit DSP pedal with an unfortunate name. <laughs> and it's basically a very simple reverb pedal with three different settings, decay, mix, and tone controls. And based on the only demo I was able to find, it sounds fine, but I had, like nothing too like exciting about it, to be honest. But I guess what made r- rounds around the internet is the name of this thing. Like, it's, it's quite something. I wonder where I they got they that name it.
1: from. Yeah.
0: <laughs> feels, feels intentional.
1: I feel it's, like... Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, I reckon that... I don't know, there's a couple of possibilities in my head. One would be that they regularly use native English speakers to help them come up with product names, and someone was having a joke. <laughs> or Jojo was doing what a lot of brands do, and they were going through dictionaries and, you know, dictionaries of synonyms and connected words, and they wanted to find something that sounded a bit like wet. Yes. And they settled on moist, which means <laughs> wet.
0: Yep, pretty much. And it's I, only I very, very silly
1: people the- like us on the internet who think any different
0: yes uh, I think this will end up being one of those pedals that will not end up on a lot of church players pedal boards because of the name as we talk about with like Black Spirit and like some other products as well uh this will probably not end up on some people's boards just because of the name
1: it's funny though just there are saying. so many stupid, <laughs> little things that you can make out of guitar product names and stuff. You know, the moist reverb, dry in, yeah. G string, nut lube. There are <laughs> there are so many options to be an idiot when it comes to being a guitar player. I mean the other yes, week definitely. on the on the Blue Guitar Live Show, Thomas brought his Super Hard On in, which is a <laughs> a pedal. And I made a joke about it at some point, and it went straight over Thomas's head. A very subtle thing, but it's, you know... I think a lot of these products yeah. are built with that kind of humor in mind. And I think, you know, there's companies like Friedman who have made a, a career out of naming their things
0: kind yeah, of crudely,
1: it? almost. But yep. with Joyo, I, I believe it to have been an innocent case of they wanted to describe their pedal with an onomatopoeic yes. word... They went with moist, and us giggly little schoolboys found it rather amusing. I mean, I would like to get the moist, so, yeah, I'm good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, when you use it in a sentence like that, it becomes even more funny, to be honest, so there you go. Uh, Right now, there's only like one video available about this battle, and as I mentioned, it sounds fine, a very... I'm going to say it's fairly standard-sounding reverb pedal.
1: Uh, yeah, and hey, probably if they very did do affordable it, as well. Yeah, if they did do it specifically as a joke to get our attention, they got it, because we're all talking about the yeah. moist, and I've <laughs> seen it mentioned a lot on other forums. People are laughing about it, so yeah, great work, Jojo. And I'm sure it yeah, sounds good at the end of the day, because <laughs> it's not on Amazon either, I just searched for it. <laughs> I, when I search Jojo Moist, I just got weird kind of hygiene wipes and stuff. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's one video in the article we're going to link in the show notes, so you can check out the sounds you're getting from that pedal and yeah. decide what they want to get one right on. <laughs> That's the only joke I'm going to make about this pedal at least.
1: Good. Yeah, let's keep it serious. This is a serious show. Yeah, this, serious this is people. a
0: very serious show. Yeah, yeah. Based looks, on how um, it looks,
1: I, yeah, yeah. Based on how it looks, I was going to say it's probably going to cost about between thirty and fifty euros. It looks yep. very, very similar to the kind of the build quality of the. Um, I can't remember the name of the range, but I have the Sweet Baby Overdrive, which was about twenty-five mm. euros new, so it was super affordable, but has lasted quite a few years decent quality sounds great so I have no kind of doubt that this will sound very very good for what it is yep it's a reverb we... pedal for the modern player who doesn't want to have any of the modern algorithms you know who yeah. doesn't need a shimmer and octave ups and downs and massive massive halls that go on forever that kind of thing yeah so I like it's it. another pedal for me no. Yeah, it's it's not a pedal for the for the worship crowd anyway. So, regardless of the yeah. name of it, it won't be going on church players boards. It's not big enough.
0: That's true. Needs more knobs and put switches and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. All right, let's jump to the next thing which is the Mad Max Fury Road doof and wagon rig is available you to buy. If you've seen the Mad Max movie, there's this crazy, crazy wagon thing and like a guitar player on it as well. And that's not CGI. That thing is real, as you can see here in the photo on the YouTube side of things. This thing looks absolutely incredible, which is discussing before the show, like there's probably no way I would be able to ship this to Finland. And even if I would, I probably wouldn't have any kind of permission to drive this anywhere like i would probably have to have this delivered uh to i don't know like i would need like a big farm or something and maybe i could drive on my like own like grounds or something but otherwise (laughs) like (laughs) you wouldn't go grocery shopping with this
1: one i think well there's plenty of room for the groceries that is true and you 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 would not have any problems getting stuck in traffic, you know? I imagine you could get people out of your way pretty easily.
0: <laughs> yeah. Without you even have, having to honk or anything, the people would just move away.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you would get this, what would be the first riff that you would play through that thing?
0: Ah, That's a good, good question. Uh, oh, man. I wasn't prepared for this. Let's go for ah. back in black. So, somehow that's it's like funny this, because,
1: uh, yeah, that that's that pure rock and roll ACDC thing. I was going to yeah. say ACDC as well. Like last night, I was on the Blue Guitar live stream again, and Thomas and me did a, a jam at the start of TNT by ACDC off their first album. And that's just such a pure rock and roll thing that you can just imagine playing in front of a hundred. 4 by 12s or something, and that would work absolutely (laughs) perfectly for this.
0: Yeah. Looks like there's actually 13 different uh, vehicles from that movie available for auction, but there's no details on like how much, like what kind of... Oh, the auction has been closed already, but
1: I think it hasn't opened yet.
0: They're not revealing the details.
1: Oh no, 26th of September. Yeah. So, it's done. Oh, yeah. well. I know who's bought it. The, the one person I can imagine buying it is Tyler Larson from Music is Win. <laughs> he sold all his $5,000 uh, Klom pedals and put it into this. And in a couple of weeks' time, there'll be a video saying, uh, I ruined my marriage buying the Mad Max truck. Or maybe John Mayer bought it. I don't know. <laughs> At this point, I'm just talking nonsense. I haven't seen the movie. I don't oh, know what this Bonamassa, thing sounds like. Actually. Oh, Joe Bonamassa, yeah. If it's a 59, the <laughs> He's truck, a collector. you never know. Yeah, he is. This is, is a,
0: like, vaguely guitar-related collectibles, so why not?
1: It's definitely a one-off. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there's no, like, th- this is the number one and there isn't a number two, so... I mean, yeah. I wonder if like all of that PA and everything is like you see so many speakers on it and stuff like if you can actually like use them.
1: But yeah, you can probably use them, but as someone who's worked in the pro audio industry, I'm just thinking about all the phase cancellation issues of placing all those speakers together, and it's it's not going to give you the best possible sound. Damn it! No, Yeah But yeah, that's that's, that's not what they were going for. I don't believe. No.
0: Like, as a, as a fan of, like, massive trucks and stuff like that, like, I would have loved to drive that in the movie, on the movie set, like, in the desert with everything else, like, because, like, huge amount of stuff in that movie is, uh, like, practical effects, like, to a crazy extent, actually. And, like, imagine driving this, and with all the, like, little trucks and cars driving there as well in the desert, and, man, that must have been, like, an experience of a lifetime, driving this on the movie set.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it like, was dressed up yeah, in all the pretty... Mad Max gear and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, the fact that it was real, you know, because so many modern movies are just purely done, you know, in front of green screens or their yep. CGI. But this is a real truck. So yeah, I think I'm going to have to watch the movie. Just just to see it's, what this thing does. It's
0: very entertaining. Like it's not like the it's not that Shakespeare of a movie. It's more like Fun, entertainment, incredible practical effects. I'm just going to play this little clip here that you can see. These are the shots from the movie. Like most of that stuff is practical, which is absolutely incredible. So, yeah. Highly recommend. It's a we fun, like, well. ad- yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a bunch of drum sets as well on it. Ridiculous. On the
1: back. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Oh, man. Was he playing a Gibson Firebird X or was it just me? (laughs) No, he wasn't. There's a literal fire
0: coming off the guitar, so maybe.
1: (laughs) They probably just bought some old KISS tour guitars. Yeah, could be. Yeah, very cool. Oh,
0: man, look at that. Look at that. How cool would it be drive like there? Just amazing. Well, it's up for auction. Go get it. Yeah, Somebody apparently might have bought it already, so...
1: Yeah, oh, well.
0: Oh, well. Next time we'll be ready. (laughs) (laughs) We're a few days too late. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, I guess this is vaguely guitar-related. I'm just trying to imagine what it's like to play guitar while standing on that thing while they're driving in the desert with all the other cars driving next to you. Must have been fun.
1: Yeah, I imagine it That's was. I, I, the, yeah. I'm just thinking about reverse parking into a parking space at the <laughs> supermarket. It just, that wouldn't be fun, it's would it?
0: Kind of, yeah, some, something you kind of don't have to worry about. You just park wherever you want.
1: I guess, I guess, yeah. If you just pull up in front of the front door, no one's going to tell you to move, are they?
0: Nope. Pretty much, yeah. no. know. Though, though, like, imagine, like, you seeing someone, like, parking this on, like, a supermarket like parking lot. And then the guy walks out in, like, sweatpants and, like, a, like a very regular clothes or something. <laughs> <laughs> or they're wearing, like, a suit and they're, like, on their way from the business meeting to their home and they're just stopping for groceries. <laughs> <and they're laughs> so many great options what you can do with this yeah <laughs> Uh but yeah <laughs> there's that <laughs> I think it's time to jump to something we kind of teased last week which is our album pick for this week for albums of our lives and yeah without more talk let's go there right away Plastic on the CD shelf. These are the albums of our lives. Yep, our album pick of the week is Kaboom. The darkness permission to land with. And as we mentioned last week, like briefly at least, this is one of our like favorite albums of all time. I guess that's kind of the idea of the segment. Anyway, but yeah. I remember when the first, I think, uh, oh, come on, I'm forgetting the song name. Well, well, come on. What's the name of the
1: first single they put out?
0: Not permission to land, but. The
1: the first one in the UK was not, I believe, in A Thing Called Love. It was Get Your Hands Off My Woman, I think, that came first. Really? Yeah. That's the R-rated song as well. Yeah, but they, <laughs> they re-recorded <laughs> it for the radio edit and um, ah. in the chorus, he um, instead of using the rather naughty C word, he said coconut. So it was really, really funny because <laughs> the darkness have always had a massive sense of humor and that's part of what I yes. loved about this record. But it could yeah. be that I believe in A Thing Called Love is the song that everybody knows and what yes. everybody thought of as being the first single.
0: Yeah. So this album came out in 2003, and yeah, I remember the music video for, I believe, in a thing called Love, and a very silly video, but also, like, uh, basically this album is, I guess, classic rock, very Zeppelin-inspired, but with a bit of, like, modern twist, very kind of sarcastic lyrics, and... I ah, just so much fun. Justin Hogan is a vocalist. He he goes all in. What a way to, like, like if you think about the first song, <laughs> like, shock, Uh What a way to introduce yourself as a vocalist. He goes all in with the falsetto screaming type of thing, and I love it. And also guitar sounds on this one are so, 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 so good. Just absolutely yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah, the the start of that record, Black Shuck, that riff, it's one of my favorite guitar riffs ever. You know, everyone has riffs that they always sort of automatically play when they pick up a guitar and it's tuned a certain way or in a certain sound. If I get a guitar with distortion on, I'll play Black Shuck or something by ACDC. But it's just it's always there. It's an amazing yeah. riff. What a way to start a record. But yeah, I first heard of the Darkness. Back in 2003, when the record was on the way, and for some reason they started to get airplay on Radio 1, which was the BBC's biggest kind of youth pop music station. And The yeah. first time I heard it, I thought, what on earth is this? It's one of those things where it just it catches you because it's so different and it sounds so crazy. And yeah. the vocals and the rock production was so different to anything else that was out there at the time because there was no one else doing that. And at first I thought it was very much influenced by Queen because that was the only thing I could compare it to. And I think it is, in a way. I mean, I think that they're massive Queen fans. You can hear it in the the way they write the songs. And I'm sure they've alluded to that in interviews as well. But yeah, they, they have heavier bits. The songwriting is always amazingly well done. It's always so melodic and catchy, while at the same time having riffs that make you bang your head a bit. And... The most divisive thing about The Darkness, I think, is Justin Hawkins' vocal style. (laughs) I've been through love-hate phases with him and his way of singing, but now I'm in a place where I just think he's one of the best modern-day vocalists out there. He has this incredible range. He's so, so good with it, and he can do it live as well. He's absolutely amazing. And if you don't like the voice, if you don't like the theatrics, you're going to hate it, but... I think he probably doesn't care, (laughs) which is another great thing about the band, yeah.
0: Yeah, based on the live stuff uh, I've seen from him, he he doesn't care. Definitely, like, yeah, I mentioned Zeppelin, but also, yeah, Queen is the second, like, huge influence because when you look at his, like, stage presence, there's a lot of, like, Freddie Mercury vibes as well, like the way he kind of, just presents himself and the way like he dresses and all of that it's very what's the word obnoxious and kind of over the top and it's kind of cool actually like you feel like you don't get a lot of that kind like that kind of people like that kind of frontman anymore
1: and no you don't and it's like it feels in a way like it's all a big joke and They are Mm. definitely having a laugh with it, but also I think they're deadly serious about the songwriting craft and making amazing records. And you can see that throughout the whole album. It's just, for me, it's just great song after great song after great song. And you have, you know, Black Shuck as a killer opening to the record with that amazing riff. It's a story, by the way, about uh, a local legend to them in the UK. Black Shuck is one of those, um, you know, kind of mythical giant black dogs that people see in the night. Mm. So representative of death, I assume. Oh, But yeah, that's what Black Shuck is about. And then you have Get Your Hands Off My Woman, which is, again, an amazing riff. And I just Googled it, and that was the first single. So that was the first one that I heard. And it just, that's a bit heavier, a bit edgier. And like you say, Mm. too explicit for daytime radio, but they did have this really, really funny radio mix back in the day. And then you have Growing On Me. Yeah, you got to find it and listen to it. It's really good. Then you have Growing On Me, which was another single, which is more of a ballad. Yeah. Um, And again, some would say that there's a hidden meaning to it, that Growing On Me is actually about a sexual disease, an STD. But (laughs) he's never admitted to that, but it would not surprise me at all. Then I believe in A Thing Called Love, which is their magnum opus, the one they will forever be associated with. That's just an incredible track. And I think we yeah. should probably talk about that one a bit separately. But yeah, definitely. You know, for me personally, I'm not big into guitar solos, really. I don't like whittling. If anyone's ever watched my channel, you know I just play riffs and chords and stuff like that. I'm not into solos. But the solos and the guitar breaks on I Believe in a Thing Called Love are some of my absolute favourites. So much so that I even learned how to play them back in the day. And mm. I basically never do that with solos, but I don't know how you feel about it, but for me they're they're really, really good. They're really good.
0: And I'm actually hearing a lot of like Brian May influence in there more yeah. than Jimmy Page or ACDC. Because there's always this kind of melodic sense and like they clearly kind of understand it. From it. Like it's not like just okay. They, this is where the solo comes in and do whatever pentatonic runs you want to go for. They're like they're really really well designed and it's like the solos add to the song. It's not like they they don't have a so- guitar solo in a song just to have a guitar solo in the song or because you quote need to have a guitar solo. They always add to the
1: song and yeah, I love exactly that. yeah they give it something extra and. Yeah, Justin Hawkins himself is an amazing guitar player, and he takes yeah. most of the solos on the records. But his brother, Dan Hawkins, who is the, the rhythm guitar player in the band, he does one of the solos in, I believe, in A Thing Called Love. There's three that I would talk about. The first one comes after the first verse and chorus. That's just like a little guitar break, yeah, which comes after about a minute, which is just, it's only about five or six seconds long, but it's so melodic and tastefully done, and it it bridges between that chorus and verse so well. And after the next verse and chorus, you have a longer solo, which is more melodic and uses more full chords in it. And that's not Justin, that's Dan Hawkins playing that one. And I think the most famous one is the one at the very end, after the final chorus, where he does some, some quite fast pentatonic whittling and then does that run up the high E string. And yeah. Yeah, the first time I heard that, I was, that was a goosebumps moment for me. It was such an exciting solo, you know? It was such a crescendo such a climax to that song. I absolutely loved it and I still do. I can't play that one as well as I can do the others, but yeah. <laughs> 18 years after that record came out, I'm still sort of learning it a bit. I've started it again in the past week since we started talking about this record. Ooh, but, yeah. A fantastic yeah. song, you know, and everything about it is just amazing. I love it. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I'm like... I, I, as I mentioned, like, having very recently rewatched the Bohemian Rhapsody movie and also watched the Rick Biaro, uh breakdown of the Bohemian Rhapsody, the song, like, yeah, there's so much Queen stuff and, like, all of those guitar, lead things, especially, like, the way they harmonize them. Like, it's very kind yeah. of almost operatic
1: and... Yeah, exactly. I hear Thin Lizzy in those guitar solos as well, because they harmonize, I don't know, is it like fourths or something? You hear that quite a lot, but Mm. it's always really, really tastefully done. There's never just mindless whittling for me. But yeah, I mean, after you have, I believe in a thing called love, you go through the rest of the record and there's just great song after great song. So Mm. love is only a feeling. And then giving up, which is one of my... Other absolute favorites. I love the riff to that. I love the the melody. Uh, yeah, great song. Stuck in a rut, that's a harder one. Then Friday Night, which was also like a, a single in the UK, I think, which was more of a ballad. Really, really funny lyrics, but also quite poignant. And then Love on yeah. the Rocks with No Eyes, which is just another massive riff, you know? Really, yeah. really good. And then Holding yeah, My Own Tender, like which is a bit riff of a slow as well. one. But yeah. You know, they they could rock. Love on yeah. the Rocks with No Ice is a is a much heavier sort of a sound, but juxtaposed with Justin Hawkins' way of singing, it just it has this massive amount of pomp and glamour to it, kind of like yes. Queen with Freddie Mercury. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I love um, this record.
0: Yeah, like uh, for me personally, the journey with this band is also like the first album was such a background, like I remember listening to this a lot and actually not talking about it, I kind of went back to it and it's it's just, it's a masterpiece guitar sound wise, like this type of songwriting wise, kind of vocal wise as well, if you're into <laughs> this kind of completely over the top t- type of thing, which I'm a big fan of. So there's that, but also like after this album, uh, they were in a kind of difficult position where I feel like even though they've released like some great music, music since this one, like I always compare everything they've done since to this one. And that's kind of like the debut album was their biggest album and it's very hard for me to go for any other album from their catalog.
1: Yeah, I think the they gave themselves one. an impossible job to follow yes. that up. What was yep. their second album? Was it One Way Ticket to Hell and Back? Yes. Yeah, uh, which Th- so has so good songs to... as well, but I
0: never go back to that one.
1: Yeah, it has. Yeah, a handful of really good ones, but just nothing for me personally. The same as you, mm-hmm. nothing that touches the heights of Permission to Land. I mean, they gave yeah. themselves such a tremendously difficult job to to follow up that record. So, and they never have, yeah. but. I think they've done very well off that record in the last twenty years or so. So yes, pretty they can much. be happy with that. Uh, have you seen them live? Yes, and Justin oh, you? rode a white tiger across the audience. That was the kind of thing <laughs> that they did. <laughs> yeah, like some of giant he stuff did. <laughs> tiger. Yeah, and of yeah, just he did. an incredible, an incredible live band and. Back in the day, they got famous very quickly, and they got huge very quickly. And they mm. were asked to headline festivals, even in 2003 and 2004, and they just had one record. And there was always this discussion mm. with, well, how can we headline a festival and play like a, you know, a 30, 40-minute set as opposed to an hour and a half? But they managed to do it. And yeah, he live does some great improvisational guitar playing, again, showcasing that he's a fantastic player. And he has mm. very good taste in gear too, of course. He's very famous for his white Gibson Les Paul customs. There's quite a few yeah. rig rundown type videos with him. I think there is a Premiere guitar rig rundown that you can watch and he's very deadpan and funny in that. So I'd recommend anyone who is interested in the gear that they use to go watch that video. Dan Hawkins is also in it and he seems like a super nice guy. So relaxed mm. and understated compared to Justin's on-stage personality. By the way, do you know Is what the... Justin Hawkins did before the darkness? Uh, no, I don't. He used to write TV jingles for shows like The X Factor." Uh, so maybe that was kind of makes a lot of: That sense. took him in the direction of creating super-catchy, hooky, sort of mm. little pieces of music, which he combined into songs. But yeah, supremely talented musicians.
0: Yeah. Uh, I actually talked about this album with a friend of mine last week. We went for lunch and I was playing this album in my car and he mentioned that he had also seen the band live once. And at that point, uh, Justin was still uh, using like... He he actually used Mesa Boogie Dual Rectifiers for a long time. And he, my friend mentioned that there was such a difference, uh, like guitar tone quality-wise, between him and Dan is the brother, right? Yeah, yeah. Like Dan, Dan is like Marshalls and Les Pauls, and then Justin has the <laughs> dual rectifier and the Les Paul. Like the difference between the tone was very, very drastic. Although he did, my friend did mention also that it might have like partially be like. Oh, yeah, he told the story, like, later he read in an article that Justin at some point started to take his guitar tone more seriously when he wasn't, like, as messed up <laughs> as he used to be <laughs> in the early days of the band. <laughs> that now he's, like, taking that seriously as well, like, because, like, my friend mentioned that, like, Dan's sound was amazing live, like, one of the best guitar tones he's ever heard live, and he's, like, my friend is, like, a pro-level musician himself and has yeah. kicked for 20 years around Finland and around a bit around Europe as well, I think. So, like, he knows his stuff. And, yeah, like, the Dual Rectifier classic rock thing wasn't, like, really working for him as well, at least, like, when he was listening to that live. Uh, I, also, I also remember, like, I think I've seen one of the rig randowns and that time I think Justin had, like, an old cowhide Type of covered uh, dual rectifier full stack, so like this <laughs> white with like black dots type of thing. Yeah, that he had. I I've seen one of those rig rundowns. There's like a full stack Mesa dual rectifier with Mesa four by twelve cabinets, and they're all covered in like black and white color- white <laughs> pattern. It's quite something. Yeah, and I mean it's I
1: think- reflective of his personality. I think that's definitely. he, he was never going to be one for plain black amplifiers. But yeah. yeah, they're still going, aren't they? The darkness, I think. Mm-hmm. Or they, they seem to come back occasionally and do stuff. I think they had yeah. some difficult years. I think Justin himself had some hard times. Maybe went through yeah. some phases where he was not in a position to be, you know, doing stuff with the band or reliable or anything like that. But it seems like they're back doing stuff. They had some side projects and stuff as well, like he had one called British Whale, which again is a pun on British Rail. Which is, yeah, kind of funny. But I think yeah. the darkness and permission to land is what they will always be known for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So anyone who's a- not
1: heard that record, go go listen to it.
0: Yeah. It's it's a classic for a reason. It's it's just Like, just looking at the track list, uh, first of all, all of the songs are very memorable, but like, as an album, it's a very strong album, which is very, very rare for a new band. Like, as an album, it's a very strong one as well.
1: And like, you listen to it
0: happily. There aren't like songs you immediately want to skip.
1: Yeah, I I don't skip any songs on it. And it is quite rare, especially in this day and age, you know, the days of Spotify and TikTok to to listen to even a whole song on its own, but to listen to a whole album with 10 songs on it is, is probably quite rare. Maybe we're just showing our age by, by saying that, but, you know, this is an album with... There's a couple of tracks which are slightly weaker than some of the others. Of course, you can't have, you know, hit after hit. That's just not possible, yeah. but I can listen to the whole thing no problem whatsoever. And that's what yeah. also helps to make it a great record, you know? Yep. Definitely. And
0: Actually, we want to talk about the band even more, but we're going to jump to the next section of the show, the weekend watch, because yeah, we're going to talk about the darkness even more in just a second. Watching, video. It's not like you have anything else to do. Yep, as I mentioned, the weekend watch is very heavily tied to the darkness because it's. The Darkness live at Astoria and I don't quite remember when this actually aired but they're playing, basically they're playing songs from the first album and then maybe some other songs as well. And I guess in a way this uh, uh, live production wise is very like early-ish 2000s because like some of the edits like give me like epilepsy almost like it's super fast-paced cuts sometimes which is a bit annoying mm. but like sa- like mixing vibes and everything like the vibe the band is giving like the interaction between the band and the audience and everything is pretty am- amazing oh yeah and you can see the dual rectifiers there the grudge guitars dan is playing yeah, and, as and as of course yeah
1: dan hawkins he also always wore that thin lizzie shirt didn't he Oh, like that was his uniform true. in the band. I, I'm reminded of that when I see them now. But he's playing. A, is that a gretsch
0: that he's playing? Yeah, that's a gretsch. Might even be like a baritone gretsch. Looks a bit longer scale to me. Yeah, I could be wrong. But like, yeah, in some of the songs he's playing gretsch, then in some of the songs he's playing the different Les Pauls he has. And yeah, I think they actually like go for a few different tunings as well on their guitars because they seem to swap. Task based on the song they're going for,
1: like yeah, off but the top of my head, a, um yeah. most of Permission to Land, if not all of it, is in standard tuning. They use a capo on some songs, or at least I bought the tab book back in the day, and that's how I was learning mm. it. And I know that a couple of the songs, like um, Friday Night and Giving Up, you have a capo on the second fret. So oh, I see. But they are yeah, all be. standard tuning, I think.
0: Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure. Like, okay, maybe maybe like for the tab book or like that that book, they have been like transposed. But I feel like some some of the riffs sound like they might be played in either standard D or like a drop D, maybe even. Yeah, there's some like yeah, the the way the chords are voiced on the album sounds like there's
1: that happening on some of the songs at least. But I could be wrong as well. I think I can but see I'm from sure like, this video that we're watching without sound that they're playing Black Shock yeah <laughs> just that's also, that's a song that Justin doesn't play on as well so that gives it away a little yeah. bit that's true
0: yeah but I mean like this live sounds amazing it sounds yeah. so so good and um, yeah highly highly recommend it. like if you want to get like a proper introduction to the band you might as well start with this one as well like it's, it's really cool to check out the band like their live show, and they sound amazing here. And then they sound even better on the album. So uh,
1: you're yeah, right, uh, though. Like that that video, the edits come every second and a half. It's yeah, quite it's, it's very to fast watch,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, whoever was directing this was like a bit maybe
1: maybe done a bit too excited. Yeah, but perfect no, for the TikTok generation you know that is true keep people's focus on the video
0: yeah I think they're playing like through the whole album
1: because yeah I I think back in the day they basically had to do that because they didn't have that much more that's true (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah Uh, I I don't remember there might be like a cover or two on this in this show as well but I'm not 100% sure been a while since I've watched the whole thing but yeah this they did like have b-sides
1: and stuff yeah I remember that was oh, back yeah, in the day when bands still released singles that had b-sides to them that's true do, but do people still do that these days do you get tracks mm-hmm. that don't make it onto albums and are released as the I've second side that. of a single
0: yeah yeah I think I've seen that every now and then but I get, it's probably more rare So but you know, yeah. Well, uh, this is such a fun thing to watch. Check out the link in the show notes, and yeah, it's quite something. I, I, th- I think he does something like does he surf on top of the audience or something? You know, fast forward a little bit. I think there's something like he that might, He might
1: even ride the tiger at this point. If you go oh, more towards sure. the end. Is that a tiger? I don't know she if they were tiger. doing that when this happened. He also
0: switches outfits every couple of songs, it seems.
1: Yeah, he, he does it like <laughs> Every Beyonce. time I skip,
0: there's a new, yeah, there's a new outfit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you Why not? Yeah. yeah, I mean, they were also... Uh, the, the stage show and the theater of it is almost as important as the music in some yeah. ways, you know? Definitely. Look how into it that crowd are. Also, yeah. again, I'm gonna come across like an old man here, but look how many people are just in the music there. Not one person is holding up a mobile phone to film this. Yep. They're all just enjoying the music. I mean, this is possibly in the days before people had decent video phones, of course, but That's, that's true. There yeah. you go. <laughs> there he is there in you the go. Crowd. He's riding through the crowd oh
0: it does have some security and is, is he playing like a solo while he's doing it so
1: it yeah. seems he's riding on the back of his security man isn't he yeah yeah it's very cool okay. <laughs> yeah
0: especially in this like well a little bit post-covid times but still like covid affected times this looks so weird like somebody surfing in the midst of the crowd yeah um, thing but I hope one day we'll be back to this so do I, because this this looks fun. Yeah, but yeah, that is the weekend watch, and I I'm gonna say if you watch this, you're going to have a lot of fun. It's it's a great show to check out, and yeah, that wraps up this week's Epic Fridays. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Links to everything we mentioned here in the description, and as always, there's different ways to support what we do in the show notes as well including the songwriting course and some affiliate links to tome and stuff like that and yeah this is rich's video for the diesel amp and rich's channel as well if you're into like in-depth guitar stuff check it out as well and yep that's it really have a great weekend thank you so much for watching and listening
1: bye podcast Bye, podcast.